I'm glad you're here this morning to worship with us. And before we get into the message, I want to talk just a few minutes about a special event that's going to be happening that students would come uh, to know Christ and connect with Christ uh, through Eric Samuel uh, Tim. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's get into our message this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew, several uh, passages in Matthew. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then go to chapter 4, 13 to 17, and work our way through several scriptures in the book of Matthew. I'm going to finish a series I started a, a few weeks ago on going through our vision statement as a church. And I mentioned before that the word that I see that we need as a church is that we need to refocus on God's mission for our church and God's vision for our church. And I've been going through our vision statement. And we talked about the need to exalt Christ in every area of our life. The last week we talked about the need to equip believers because we all have different gifts, we all have diverse responsibilities, and we all are to develop spiritually in the best way that we can do that as a church, and the best way you can do that as a believer is to equip and be equipped. And I want you to notice there's a natural progression in our vision statement. Because if we exalt Christ, and if we equip believers, we will extend the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is one of the most important topics in Jesus' teaching in Scripture. Now the word kingdom comes from the Greek word basilia, which means reign. It means kingship. And since Jesus is the king of kings, the kingdom is the reign of Jesus. And it's just not talking about a, about a physical reign, which we know will happen when Jesus comes again and sets up a kingdom. But also it's talking about a spiritual reign as well. And as part of the model prayer in Matthew 6.10, when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said this, Your kingdom come meaning the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Your will be done, meaning God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And we may think, what does it mean God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? There's a great illustration from the Roman Empire that can put this in terms that we might be able to understand better. When the Roman Empire was going strong, it was a huge kingdom and it kept getting bigger. And the Caesars would continually send out their armies to take over new territory. And when a new territory came under Roman control, the Romans would use force to try to make that new territory just like Rome. They would build Roman temples. They would institute Roman religion, which involved the worship of Caesar. They would institute Roman education and arts and culture. They even built Roman baths. And they would do everything they could to make their new territory just like Rome. Well, why did they do this? Why did they try to make every territory they conquered just like Rome? They did it so that if Caesar ever came there, he would feel right at home because the territory was just like his home in Rome. That's the reason they did it. That's the reason they went out to all that trouble to make all these conquered territories like Rome. So when Caesar visited... And he would feel like he was at home. And this is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is when everything in heaven is instituted on the earth so that God's teaching, God's worship, God's glory, and God's power are present here on earth. And the earth looks just like heaven. You see, the kingdom of God just does not exist. The kingdom of God happens. Because where Jesus is, so is the kingdom of God. It's not just futuristic, it's present. And because Jesus is within us, through the Holy Spirit, and because Jesus reigns in our lives, not only are we a part of the kingdom of God, but we are to extend, we are to bring others into the kingdom of God. So how do we go about extending the kingdom of God so that if Jesus were to come and visit, that he would feel right at home. We're going to look at several passages that show us how we can extend the kingdom of God. The first thing I want to share with you to extend the kingdom of God, we have to proclaim the gospel truthfully. If we're going to extend the kingdom of God, first and foremost, we have to proclaim the gospel truthfully. Matthew 3, 1 and 2. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
And then in Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, or starting in verse 12, it says, When he, meaning Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth behind and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. This was fulfilled of what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, which is in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. It says, The land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, along the sea road, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the shadow land of death, light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. John the Baptist said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And this idea of repentance is distinctive. It's fundamentally important to the Christian message of salvation because you cannot be saved without repentance. And repentant means to change one's mind. It means to change direction. It means to turn from something or someone and turn to someone or something else. It's doing a complete 180 degrees in our lives. And the light that Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17, he says, The light has dawned, meaning people have gone from darkness to light. Jesus is himself saying, I am the light that has dawned and made myself available to Jews and Gentiles so they may repent and be saved and enter into the kingdom of God. Because the only way Jew or Gentile can go from darkness to light is through repentance, by turning from their sin and turning to Christ. The message is clear. Without repentance, there is no salvation. You see, Christianity is the only religion that emphasizes the significance and the importance of repentance. There is no other religion that says you have to repent of your sin. There is no other religion that says you have to ask forgiveness for your sin and give your life to Jesus. Christianity is the only religion that has that fundamental belief. You see, God has chosen us as his followers as those who have repented and changed our mind about sin and chose to turn to Jesus to deliver the gospel. We are the vehicle, we are the medium through which God wants us to share his message of repentance and his message of salvation. In Romans 10, 11 through 14, Paul wrote, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then then they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You see, if we want people to respond to Jesus, if we want people to come into the kingdom of God, we have to be the ones to tell them, about Jesus. Paul said, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? We are the ones that are supposed to preach God's truth to those who do not know him. And we have to be honest about the gospel. We have to tell it like it is. We have to make it known that Jesus is the only way. As Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, when he declared, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And also Peter In Acts 4, 12, he says, Salvation is found in no other name than the name of Jesus. We have to make it known that Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. We have to make it known that heaven and hell are real. They're not myths. They're a reality. And when someone passes from this life to the next, they're even going to heaven or hell. You know what determines where they go? Whether or not they've repented of their sins and turned from their sins and turned to Jesus. We have to make it known that that coming to Jesus does not mean you're not going to have any more problems. There are a lot of churches that preach what's called the prosperity gospel, that if you give your life to Jesus, all your problems go away. And they also say if you give your life to Jesus and you're obedient to him, he's going to bless you with all these wonderful things of this world. There's a Greek word for that that's called baloney. That is nowhere in scripture that I find. In fact, I would say if you give your life to Jesus, what's going to happen? You're going to have more problems than you had before. Why? Because now you have an enemy who, who was with you who now opposes you in Satan. 
So don't buy into the prosperity gospel. It's not biblical. Don't buy into the idea that there's more than one way to heaven, that Jesus is not the only way, because he is. And I'm floored by the number of people who say they're professing Christians who says that Jesus isn't the only way. There has to be more than one way. My response to that is if Jesus is not the only way, why did he come and die and went all through that he went through for us? Why would Jesus go through all that if he wasn't the only way? So we have to be honest about the gospel. We have to be bold with the gospel. We can't shy away from it. We can't be ashamed of it. Because to be ashamed of the gospel is to be ashamed of Jesus. To be ashamed of the gospel is to be ashamed of Jesus. And we need to have the attitude of Paul in Romans 1.16 where he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Where is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And we have to be willing to proclaim the gospel even if it means rejection even if it means suffering, even if it costs us our lives. A great example of this is in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they had just healed a man. And now they're going around preaching Jesus and talking about what Jesus did and how he suffered and died and talking about the resurrection. Well, the, the Pharisees didn't like it. So they brought Peter and John, they arrested them and brought them before the Sanhedrin. And listen to what Peter and John's response were to the charges that brought against them for proclaiming the name of Jesus. Acts 4 verses 18 to 20, it says, Then they called them in again, meaning the Sanhedrin, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now this is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times in the Gospels. And now here's Peter before the Sanhedrin, and now they're having to tell him to, to shut up about Jesus, to be quiet about Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's what it means to proclaim the gospel. That's what it means to share Jesus to speak about what you've seen and heard and about what Jesus had done, has done in your life. And Peter and John are saying, we can't be silent about what Jesus has done for us. There's no way we're going to be silent. I don't care what you say. You see, they were, they were willing to die and give their life for the gospel. There aren't many things worth dying for, but the gospel is one of them. And my question to you is how far... And to me, how far are we willing to go to share Jesus? Are we willing to share Jesus even if it costs us our job? Are we willing to share Jesus even if it costs us a relationship? Are we willing to share Jesus even if it costs us our lives? You know, I think of the example of Jim Elliott, and he may be familiar to many of you, missionary that went to the Harani Indians in, in Ecuador back in the 1950s. No one ever tried to evangelize this group of, 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 of warriors. Very violent. But he and four guys were willing to go and try to evangelize the Harani tribe in Ecuador. And they turned on him and they killed all five of them. Not long after they had been there. There's actually a movie called The End of the Spear. If you haven't seen it, there's a movie about his story. But a few years later, his wife, his widow, Elizabeth Elliot. And another one of the gentleman's sisters went back to Ecuador. Went to the same tribe that killed their husbands. And they evangelized these tribes. And you know what happened? Because of their efforts, many of those Harani Indians came to know Christ. Even the ones who beheaded and killed Jim Elliot and the other missionaries. What a testimony. What a witness. All to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also have to be humble if we're going to share the gospel. We should never shame someone into receiving Christ. We should never be arrogant with the gospel. We should never think that we are better than others because we need to remember who we were before we came to know Christ. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes to Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says this, I am the worst of them. If the Apostle Paul calls himself one of the worst of sinners, 
When I look at myself, I must be one of the worst of the worst of the worst sinners. See, we have to be humble when we share the gospel and not be, be arrogant. 1 Peter three fourteen to 16 says, Honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, it says, do this with gentleness and respect. You see, we're to share the gospel boldly. We're not to be ashamed of it. We're to be honest with it, but we're also to be humble with it and share it in love. But unfortunately today in many churches there's a lack of biblical preaching. And unfortunately today among many Christians there's a lack of biblical living. Maybe it's because we're not comfortable confronting sin. Maybe we're not comfortable sharing what people need to hear. Maybe we're fearful of backlash and cancel culture. But no matter how hard the world may try we need to understand they can never cancel Jesus. And they can never cancel the gospel. It's been tried through centuries for the gospel to be stamped out. And it hasn't happened yet and it will never happen. And our world and our nation is in a great spiritual decline. There's no doubt about that. And it is evident our need is not political. Our need is not financial. Our need is not educational. Our need is spiritual. And instead of tiptoeing around sin, we need to confront sin. Instead of telling people what they want to hear, we need to tell them what they need to hear. Instead of dancing around the truth, we need to proclaim the truth. Why? Because eternity is at stake. And when we proclaim the gospel and people repent and turn from their sin and turn to Jesus, you know what happens? The kingdom of God is extended. You see, Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. And we should be all about the kingdom of God. But this comes with a caveat. We can't witness with our words if we're not witnessing with our lives. We can't witness with our words if we're not witnessing with our lives. Matthew 23, 2 and 3. Listen what Jesus uh, said when he was talking about the scribes and Pharisees. He said, the scribes and Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Now the chair of Moses is not a piece of furniture. But it refers to the teachings office that Moses held as something that was carried on from generation to generation, meaning the Pharisees and scribes have taken up the position of Moses themselves to teach authoritatively the law. But look what Jesus continued to say. He said, therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Jesus is saying, do as they say, don't do as they do because they're not following their own Laws. They're not following their own teachings. They're not following their own religion. You see, how we live our life, it's either going to invalidate our witness for Christ or it's going to validate our witness from Christ. And I pray that people would look at us and tell us what, what the Sanhedrin told Peter and John in Acts 4.13. They told Peter and John this. They said, it's evident that these men have been with Jesus. You know, that's the greatest compliment, the greatest testimony your life can have. If someone looks at you and says, I can tell you've been with Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.10. Paul told Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love and endurance. Continue in what you've learned and firmly believe. May we live in our lives in a way that shows that we live out our faith. That we firmly live what we believe. May we proclaim the gospel truthfully by telling others about Jesus and living for Jesus so the kingdom of God can be extended. Not only do we have to proclaim the gospel truthfully if we want to extend the kingdom, we have to prioritize effectively. Turn to Matthew 13. If you turn to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to go through a couple of parables here where Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 48 is the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the invaluable pearl. Look what Jesus said here about the kingdom of God in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 48. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. 
You see, these parables are very similar because it shows us not only do we have to proclaim the gospel truthfully, but we have to prioritize effectively. And the first one, what happened? The man goes into a field, he finds his hidden treasure. He finds it by chance. And in ancient times in lands like Palestine that were frequently invaded by opposing forces, people would often bury their treasured possessions in hope of going back and finding it so it wouldn't be taken in the raid. But they weren't always able to go back for whatever reason. Maybe they passed away or maybe they forgot where they hid it, but they weren't always able to go back. And it would stay hidden because no one knew where it was. An ancient Jewish law said if a workman came across it, such a treasure would become the property of his master, the owner of the field. You see, this man was wise. Instead of taking it and it possibly becoming the the owners of the field, He took it and he hid it, didn't tell anyone about it. And he sold all that he had and bought the land for himself to get the treasure. And that treasure was much more valuable than the field that he bought. And he had to become the legal owner of that field in order to claim that treasure. And that's what happened when that legal transaction took place. He bought the field. He now was the owner of the treasure. And to this man, the treasure was worth the sacrifice to get it. It's the same man who discovered the invaluable pearl. He sold everything he had in order to possess it. You see, these men understood the significance of their discovery. And in their elation, in their joy, they went and sold all that they had in order to get what was valuable. They knew their treasure was special. special. They knew it would change their life. And they made a sudden decision and a strategic decision and a sensible decision and a sacrificial decision. And just like this hidden treasure and this valuable pearl, the kingdom of God is life-changing. The kingdom of God is eternity-changing. And as a church, we have to realize that we can't do everything. Ministry takes time. Ministry takes people. Ministry takes energy. And yes, ministry takes finances. And there's only so much of this to go around. But even though we can't do everything, what we do do, we need to do well. And we have to understand who we are as a church. We have to understand our strengths as a church. We have to understand the context and the culture in which God has placed us. And just because another church is doing something and it's successful for them and working for them, does not necessarily mean we should go out and do it as well. For example, I know there's a church in our community that has a single ladies oil change twice a year. And it's very successful for them. And they do a great job with it. But just because it works for them in their context doesn't mean that's going to work for us in our context. And I do think we've had several men and and others to go help with that single ladies oil change. You know what? That's great. Because what we have to understand as a church, it's not about building our kingdom. It's about building the kingdom of God. If we can partner with other churches and help other churches, we need to do that. We have to be kingdom-focused and not self-focused. Yes, God wants us to reach our community. What's wrong with partnering with other churches? We can do a lot more together than we can do separately. And so I pray we as a church, yes, we would do what we can do to grow our membership. But let's not do it at the expense of hurting other churches. Let's not think we're in competition with the church down the street. We're in this together. We are all part of the kingdom of God. And yes, God wants us to be successful as Red House Baptist Church. And there's people we can reach that other churches can't reach. But let's not think that we're in competition with other churches. We're in this together to reach the kingdom of God, to reach people for the kingdom of God and to extend the kingdom of God. We also need to be strategic in our decisions. We need to focus on a few things and do them well instead of focusing on many things and not doing them well. And we do a lot of things here at Red House Baptist Church to try to extend the kingdom. Just to name a few, we have upward basketball. That's a great way to proclaim the gospel. It started yesterday. There were probably over a thousand people in this building between Friday night and Saturday. And every one of those people heard a halftime devotion where the gospel was shared. Every one of those players hears the gospel at practice during their devotions. 
What a great way to try to extend the kingdom through the game of basketball. And we made it known yesterday that Upward is not about basketball. Upward is about sharing Jesus through the game of basketball. And that's what we're about. We also have, we had gospel to every home that we did a few months ago where we reached and touched over 16, 1700 homes with the gospel. We have Vacation Bible School that Linda mentioned that we need to be a part of and support a great way for kids to come to the gospel. We have Operation Christmas Child. We have a backpack ministry that that some of our people uh, do every, I think, uh, once or twice, maybe twice a month for Kirksville Elementary School where they pack these backpacks and give them to children who who don't have what they need and for their families. We have Grace Now that we help. We do Pregnancy Help Center. We sponsor God's outreach. We partner with the BCM. We do mission trips. We have a partnership with Mexico. We do retreats. Our worship, our live stream is a way to extend the kingdom of God. We take up special missions offerings for Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong throughout the year. But of all the things we're doing to extend the kingdom, how well are we doing them? Maybe there are things we are doing that need to be revamped or replaced. Maybe there are things that we are doing that we need to add. Maybe we need to be more uh, specific in partnering with the local school, more intentional in partnering with the local school and ministering to that staff and those families of that school. We have an opportunity to the Tates Creek Baptist Association to work with church planners in Cincinnati. That trip has been postponed a couple of times because of weather, but Dr. Danny Davis is hoping to get that in in February or March and And my desire is for Red House Baptist Church to be part of that partnership and partner with the church planner in Cincinnati to try to extend the kingdom of God. And this is some of what we did at the vision retreat we had in December. We evaluated our church, what we needed to work on, what we need to do differently, and maybe what we do not need to do at all. And hopefully you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. And our goal in the coming weeks is to set a few goals for us as a church. At that retreat... There were six groups. They set three goals each. That's 18 goals. Now, if you're an administration or organizational expert, you know that no organization can reach 18 goals in a year. Most experts say that you should try to to set and reach three goals. Three goals in one year. That's what we're going to try to do as a staff is evaluate these goals and see what God leads us to do as a church to do this year because we have to understand that, that we have a fixed amount of time and energy. And if we try to focus on so many different goals at once, we can't give individual goals the attention they need. Because the success in reaching a goal, it rests on focusing on a few things at one time. And I think that's what we need to do at Red House Baptist Church. So we need to make strategic decisions, realizing it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. We also need to make sensible decisions. We need to do what makes sense for us as a church. We need to utilize the gifts within our membership. We need to work within our budget. We need to be careful of not burning people out. I've seen faithful church members get burned out on church work. They're on four or five different committees or ministry teams serving. They're teaching Sunday school. They're in the choir. They're doing this and they're doing that. And their own individual personal walk with God suffers because they're they're too involved in church. You say you can be too involved in church? I believe you can. Because I've seen people do it and get burnt out on it. We all need to do our part, as we talked about last week, so no one, no falls on no one person, and so no one gets burnt out. And so I pray that we'll make sensible decisions as a church. I pray we'll make sacrificial decisions as a church, like these men did in these parables. I pray that we'll be do, willing to do whatever it takes to extend the kingdom of God, because nothing is worth more than the gospel and people coming to Christ. So I pray as a church that we'll do what we can to extend the kingdom. I pray that we'll make sudden decisions. You say, what what, what do you mean by sudden decisions? We have to be wise, yes, but we can't sit around and do nothing. If this man would have sat around and not went immediately and, and hid the treasure, told no one about it, and sold it, all he had to get the treasure, who knows what would have happened if he would have sat around and waited. Maybe someone else would have discovered the treasure. But see, we, have to, we can't sit around and do nothing. We were made to do something for Christ. Ephesians 2.10, 
Paul wrote, we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. These men made their treasures a high priority. And they gave all they had to gain the one thing they desired. And they were decisive in their action. We need to have an urgency when it comes to extending the kingdom of God. We need to make it our priority and realize no cost is too great. So what are you willing to do? What are we as a church willing to do to extend the kingdom? How far are we willing to go? So I pray that you'll think about that as we go through this year. What can we do? How can we prioritize effectively to extend the kingdom of God? The next thing I want to share is we have to permeate aggressively. Matthew 13, if you go to verses 31 to 33, the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. Jesus said this. He said he presented another parable to them that a man took and uh, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky can come and nest in its branches. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through all of it. Jesus gave two parables here. The parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast. And what Jesus is talking about is the phenomenal growth of the kingdom of God. And Jesus used two examples out of everyday life. The first one he used was the example of the mustard seed because he knew that everyone in that culture had a garden plot. In every garden, there was a mustard plant that had a place. And the mustard seed is a very, very small seed. And some say it's the smallest of all seeds. But yet it grows into a large plant and it becomes a tree 8 to 12 feet high. You say, well, what was Jesus saying? He was saying that the kingdom of God may have seemed insignificant at the time, especially in Galilee in the late AD 20s, but ultimately it's going to have a tremendous impact on the entire world. And that's why Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 28, 18 to 20 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that he commanded them. Why did Jesus say that? So the kingdom of God could grow. And we see in the book of Acts and we see in Paul's writings how the, fall, how the followers of Jesus, they set the world on fire. Thousands upon thousands came to know Christ. When you start reading the book of Acts and you see how the apostles' lives and the disciples' lives had changed because of the power of the Holy Spirit, it is incredible the growth that the kingdom of God experienced in the book of Acts as thousands upon thousands came to know Christ. So this tiny seed that started in Galilee with Jesus and 12 men exploded and has become a tree that provides hope, that provides peace, that provides rest and refuge to people everywhere. And this tree has not yet reached maturity. It's still growing. Why is it still growing? Because many, many people have not heard the gospel. They have not heard the good news of salvation. There's still work to be done as God is still developing his kingdom. And the branches of that tree must continue to grow and extend to those who still need the gospel so they may find rest in Christ and peace with God. So when is this tree fully grown? When the gospel is preached to all nations. See, this is why it's so important to permeate our community, in our state, in our nation, in our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why we can't be passive with this gospel and we must be aggressive with it. This is why we can't give up. This is why we can't be satisfied. And this is why we can't never lose sight of the gospel because there's still work to be done. Because there are millions and millions of people who still not have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what the parable of the yeast is about. Jesus growing up in Nazareth, he probably saw his mother Mary bake bread. And I remember growing up, my mom would make these whole, uh, whole wheat yeast rolls. And I remember when she put them in the oven, we couldn't wait till they came out. It's the whole house filled with the smell of those whole wheat yeast rolls. And as soon as they came out of the oven, we got a tub of butter and slathered. I know it's almost lunchtime. We slathered butter all over those rolls, and we couldn't wait to devour them. And I imagine that's, that's the picture that Jesus had in his mind about his mom breaking bread and, 
And he took a small quantity of yeast and he mixed it with a large quantity of flour. And then she would bake enough bread to feed a hundred people at a time. I don't know if you've seen people take, uh, make bread or bake, try to bake bread. It takes a lot to knead the dough. It's not an easy job to knead the dough. And, this, and back in that culture, they took 50 pounds. 50 pounds of dough. 50 pounds is a lot. And then they would just take a little yeast and put in that dough. And that little yeast would cause all that dough to rise. You see, here Jesus is saying, that the yeast would cause the dough to rise because it permeated the whole batch. It permeated the whole batch. After it was mixed in, that yeast could not be found, but the dough was still visible. You see, a small spoonful of yeast can cause bread dough to double in size. And likewise, the kingdom of God starts small, but it grows much larger, blossoming until the whole world is impacted. And the yeast is seen as a positive symbol of great growth. You know who the yeast is in this parable? We are. You know what makes the kingdom of God grow? We do. The world is seen as the batch of dough. And we, as the yeast, have to impact, are called to impact every part of the dough there is, meaning every part of the world. This is how the kingdom of God demonstrates His power and presence today. Even though people can't see what causes the kingdom of God to grow, they can physically see that the kingdom of God does grow when the gospel is preached. And if we're going to help grow and extend the kingdom of God, if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, me, we must allow the gospel to permeate every area of our life because when our lives are permeated by the gospel, we permeate our world with the gospel. And if we want the lives of others to be touched and changed by the gospel, every area of our life needs to be touched and changed by the gospel. May our light shine before men, and may we make the teachings of Jesus relevant everywhere we go. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take work, but it's worth the effort because the kingdom of God will be extended. Next thing I want to say is we have to pray fervently. If we want to extend the kingdom of God, we've got to pray fervently. To pray fervently is mean, means prayer that is serious, means prayer that is focused, means prayer that is passionate. And this is exactly how Jesus prayed. Hebrews 5, 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission Jesus prayed yes Jesus prayed prayer was an important part in the life of Jesus just a few verses Matthew 14 23 after Jesus had dismissed them he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray Luke 5 16 Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed Luke 6 12 one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God Jesus depended upon prayer Jesus understood the importance of prayer as it was crucial to his ministry. Jesus prayed continually. He drew strength from God. He submitted every moment of his life to God. And through prayer, Jesus declared his dependence upon God the Father in everything he did. And in John 5, 19, when Jesus was responding to the Pharisees who were furious because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, listen to what Jesus told them. He said, truly I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father's doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. If prayer was important to Jesus, prayer has to be important to us. Because through prayer and everything we do, we need to show dependence upon God. We need to draw strength from God. And the only way that we show dependence upon God and draw strength from God is to make prayer an important part of our lives. And we have to realize we are in a spiritual battle. And if we're going to overcome the enemy and extend God's kingdom, it's only going to happen through prayer. Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 in verses 18 to 20, where Paul talks about the spiritual armor. I don't have time to read all that. I want to read a few verses, though. 
Paul says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he goes into, in verses 13 to 17, he talks about what the spiritual armor is. Verse 18, he says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The armor of God that Paul speaks about is referring to the uniform of a Roman soldier. And when you look at a uniform of a Roman soldier, there's something that held all those pieces together. The helmet, the breastplate, the shield. The thing that held all those pieces together was leather straps. And in the context of the spiritual armor... Do you know what holds our spiritual armor together? Do you know what the leather straps are of our spiritual armor? It's prayer. How did Paul end this section on spiritual armor? He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. If you put your armor on but don't pray, it's not going to matter. If you want to win the battle against Satan, if you want to extend the kingdom of God, you can't just put your armor on. You have to tie it together with prayer. And prayer is very important in the life of a believer. Prayer is a powerful weapon at the disposable of everyone who, who says they know Christ. Prayer plays a strategic role in our faith because it's the medium, it's the vehicle through which the power of God is unleashed in our lives and the gospel is driven home in the hearts of people. You know what happens if the Roman soldier didn't have those leather straps on? His armor falls off. Can you imagine him going to war, going to battle, and his, his armor falls off? He's going to be destroyed. You see, if you don't cover your life in prayer, after you put on the spiritual armor, you're going to be destroyed. Prayer is key for us as believers. And we need to pray for God to work in our lives. We need for God to pray in the life of our church. We need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And we need for to pray for God to work in the lives of others. And Satan would rather you do anything but pray because he can oppose you, but he can't oppose the power of God. Satan would rather you do anything but pray. Satan don't mind if you read your Bible. Satan doesn't mind if you go to church. But when you start praying, that's when he gets nervous and gets worried. Because when you start praying, you start accessing the power of God. And that's something that he can't stand against. And he knows it. Prayer has been described as this. I love this quote. A guided missile that can be launched from anywhere on the face of the planet and at any target. And there is no defense against it. There is no defense against prayer. But unfortunately, even though prayer is the most powerful weapon at our disposal in, as, a, as a believer... It is the most underutilized weapon in the life of a believer. Even though it's the most powerful, it is the least utilized. And if we want God to change us, if we want God to change others, if we want God to extend, extend His kingdom, we have to pray fervently. Our prayer must be passionate. Our prayer must be focused. Because without fervent prayer, we are not going to receive all that God has for us. The last thing I want to say, if we want to extend the kingdom, we have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. If we want to extend the kingdom of God, we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4.10, Paul wrote, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Paul is telling the Corinthian church that God's kingdom is not about talk. He says it's about power. And sometimes it's easy for us to get forget. So much of our practice of Christianity is focused on words being preached, focused on words being taught, focused on words being read or sung, and these things are important. However, all talk is meaningless without the power of God behind it. If the power of God is not behind it, it doesn't matter what we do. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul wrote, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power 
with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you know how he lived among you for your sake. The power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us is what extends the kingdom of God. And again, I refer to Acts chapter 4 as a great example. Peter and John, I mentioned, were arrested by the Sanhedrin. They told them, forget it. They weren't going to be quiet. They released them after threatening them. You know what Peter and John went? They went back to their own fellowship, to their own people. They reported what happened, and, this, and then they prayed. And listen to some of what they prayed, Acts 4, 29 to 33. They said this. Now, Lord, consider their threats, talking about the threats of, of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one, one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Notice what happened after they prayed. The power of God was unleashed through the Holy Spirit. The place was shaking. They spoke boldly and fearlessly about the gospel. And God was working in each of their lives. You know what happened? They turned the world upside down for the gospel of Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit that came through prayer. I go back to Ephesians six eighteen. Paul said, pray in the Spirit in all occasions. When we pray, we're to pray in the Spirit. Why? So the power of God can be unleashed. And if we want to be bold with the gospel, if we don't want to be ashamed about the gospel, if we want to turn our community upside down with the gospel, this only can be done by each one of us allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. It doesn't matter how much planning we do. It doesn't matter how much preparation we do. It doesn't matter how much prioritizing we do. Because we cannot extend the kingdom of God without relying on the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. Because it's not in our own strength that the kingdom of God is extended. It's only in His strength. So my prayer for Red House Baptist Church is this for this year to refocus on the mission that God has given us by exalting Christ in our worship, in our words, in our works, in our wisdom, and to equip believers so every member of Red House Baptist Church would fulfill their role that God has given them in the church by using their spiritual gifts. For what reason? So that we can make an impact in the life of those in our community for the gospel of Christ and extend the kingdom of God. But please understand, if we're going to extend the kingdom of God, it's going to take work. It's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's going to take resources. And every single one of us who are a member of Red House Baptist Church are going to have to be all in. And we're going to have to proclaim the gospel truthfully. We're going to have to prioritize effectively. We're going to have to permeate aggressively. We're going to have to pray fervently. And ultimately, we're going to have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And I pray that is your prayer for Red House Baptist Church in 2022 as well. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. I would love for you to give your heart to Christ so that you too can become part of the kingdom of God. Because apart from giving your life to Christ, you can't become part of the kingdom of God. But right now, we're extending an invitation to you to become part of the kingdom of God by giving your life to Him. Or maybe you've given your life to Christ. I want to challenge you this morning to come to this altar and pray for us as a church to refocus on the mission God has given us and that we would proclaim His word truthfully and boldly and not be ashamed of it. That we would prioritize effectively as a church and make strategic and sensible decisions. That we would make prayer a vital part of our church and our ministries. And above all, that we would rely on His Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, if God has laid on your heart, to come this morning and pray for our church. 
Or maybe God has spoke to your heart and maybe there are some things in your life that's been mentioned this morning that you've been struggling with. Maybe you've been struggling with prioritizing the gospel in your life. Maybe you've been struggling with not being ashamed of the gospel. Maybe you've been struggling with praying fervently. Maybe you've been struggling with relying on the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to challenge you to come this morning to this altar and do business with God and, and pray for our church. We've talked about the importance of prayer. It's one thing to say we need to do it. It's another thing to do it. Pray for our church. Maybe you need to pray for yourself. We have to be in this together. It's not just about the staff doing it. It's not just about a couple of people doing it. It's about Red House Baptist Church as the body of Christ coming together to exalt Christ, to equip believers, and when we do that, we'll extend the kingdom of God. And that's my prayer for us this morning. So as we sing, I'm going to pray, then we're going to have a time of commitment. If God has laid upon your heart to come to this altar this morning to pray for yourself or to pray for our church, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, and we just thank you. God, we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you that Jesus gave his life for us so that we could have life. And Father, I just pray if there's someone here this morning or watching online who's never given their life to you, I pray today would be their day of salvation, God, that today they would be able to experience the kingdom of God and be part of it. And Father, I pray for our church this morning. Father, I just thank you for the vision that you've given us to to extend your kingdom, God. But God, help us to understand that there's work that has to be done in order for that to happen. And Father, it's us that has to do the work. And Father, I pray that we'd be willing to proclaim your truth boldly, God. I pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. Father, I pray that we would understand the importance of of making wise decisions as a church because we can't do everything. And God, we need to focus on what you want us to do as a church. Father, I pray that we would understand the importance of just not sitting back and doing nothing. God, you have called us, you have created us to do good works. And God, part of that good works is sharing the gospel and making your name known. May we as a church be willing to do that. God, may we understand the importance of prayer in our lives. May we see, God, how prayer was such a vital part of Jesus' life. And it was important for Jesus, God. It has to be important for us. And God, I pray that we rely on your spirit in all that we do. Help us to understand we can't do this on our own. We can't do this apart from your spirit. God, work in the hearts of your people today. And God, I just pray that we as a church would be about, Lord, exalting you, equipping believers, and extending the kingdom. We ask all these things in your most precious and holy name. Amen. If God has laid it on your heart to come this morning and pray for our church, to pray for yourself, I'd encourage you to do that. If you need to make another decision, I would encourage you to do that this morning. Maybe to join our church, maybe baptism. Whatever it is God has laid on your heart to do this morning, I want to encourage you and challenge you to do it. Let's stand as we sing.